You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Run like a wild man. I watched you struggle and I watched you wrestle with them angels. From Auburn University, Bo Jackson. Jackson. All right, guys. I'm not going to do the full intro, although the correct Jordan Hare Stadium time is 8.39 p.m. Central Daylight Time. And you are listening to the Orange and True Podcast, however, by the friendly folks at collegeofmagnolia.com. And I am Crow 2 on Twitter, at Crow on Venmo. Drew Croson, but nobody else is here. So this is a solo crow show, as we call it. Solo crow show, which usually means it's going to go off the rails. This time it's going to go off the rails early uh, because I've brought on a guest who is not only not an Auburn fan, he's not an SEC football fan. He's just a friend of mine, my buddy Jamie. Jamie, say hello. Hey, buddy. It's been a long time. Jamie is, um, you can find him nowhere on social media. He does not have a single social media to speak of. This is true. This is true. I, I, I swore it off years ago. He lives in the world. He lives in the world and thrives without a single at to his name. It's amazing. Try to try to live my life not looking through a camera lens. Well, you live it through a quarter of a mile at a time. I do. I do. <laughs> So I owe you a, I owe you a, a, a ten second car. Oh, you do owe me a ten second car. Jamie is a part of my family, as you might imagine, not like in a literal sense, but in a Fast and the Furious sense, which I think means more. And I brought Jamie on to ask him a couple of questions because the biggest story of the day. Well, we'll get to football later, and when we do, we're going to talk a little bit about Texas A&M football, which is a whole other thing. But first, as we always do, we're going to start with Auburn, Auburn women's soccer, who we told you, we told you last week that they were going to come back from that loss to the South Carolina Gamecocks with a 2-0 weekend, and they absolutely did a perfect weekend, 1-0 against Mississippi State, and then 1-0 again against LSU in overtime, and that that game was nuts. It went 0-0 into overtime. And then we had a we had a goal scored off of a crazy rebound. Um, the highlights are on the Auburn Soccer Twitter page. Give them a chance. Give them a watch. Um, this week, Auburn Auburn plays the always dangerous Florida Gators at the Auburn Soccer Complex, and that's on Sunday. So again, if you are um, if you are in town and you want to go see something that's free and family friendly, and a team that is actually like really good and it's still ranked they actually ranked um they were 22nd the last I looked that will chart that will probably change by the time this comes out because um as you might imagine they haven't released I don't think they've released this week's rankings yet but you gotta think they'll climb the ranks though no yeah it's the thing like they're they, at this point they only got three losses all their and the teams they've lost to have all continued to win all by one goal and the football team is out of town so if you're a local and you're in town this weekend, this is your chance. You can go there and there's not any 
not any tourists. You can wear your don't have something on local t-shirt, a la what about Bob, and just hang out with the, with the gals at the soccer complex and, uh, and see Auburn defeat the Gators. And then they don't have a game. They only have one game this weekend, which is kind of amazing. Because Thursday, on the 21st, they travel, um, which we'll record another podcast before then, but they're going to travel to Arkansas. No, they're hosting Arkansas. My fault. Both of these games are on the ESPN Family and Networks. The Florida game's on ESPNU. And the Arkansas game is on SEC Network Plus, which is not the same thing as ESPN Plus. It's a separate thing, which I found out now that I no longer have like any ESPN logins. I just have ESPN Plus. I don't get these games anymore, which is a complete drag. I'm paying it makes ESPN. a ton of sense what they do. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I'm paying ESPN, and I don't get SEC Network Plus. It's ridiculous. Um, I was heretofore unaware of the Auburn Tigers soccer prowess, and am a oh, better bro. person now that better person now that I know this. As you might imagine, um, I think the I don't know if it was the addition of Texas A and M to the conference or what, but all of a sudden. A, a large chunk of this team is made up of Texans. <laughs> so a lot of Metroplex gals and greater Houston, Katy, Woodlands area gals on Auburn women's soccer. And I, I don't know, it seems like we have more Texans than normal and they're all playing pivotal roles for the team and helping us win games. I'm no longer a resident of the Republic of Texas, but uh, I will say it is a soccer hotbed. And has been for some time, but is becoming even more so. It is it is wild. Yeah, as you said, you're no longer a resident of Texas, but I brought you on because the Auburn-Baylor connection is real. It is. We've never really discussed this on this podcast, but it is crazy the number of connections between these two schools that have very little in common. Um, one is a private, Christian, mostly liberal arts college. And the other is a public land grant state institution in Alabama. And yet, the similarities are endless in terms of overlap of athletic departments. We seem to just like mm-hmm. trade players almost. Yeah. Uh, in multiple we, we sports. Could go, we could go very far down the rabbit hole if you want to here. And, and we could even go into the rumor uh, mill as well there. So if, if, if we want to, I don't know if we'll have time. You know, we got. Got a lot on the a lot of the docket here. A little, well, little I'll go, with, Depot, I'll little go the, the, the the spiciest rumor that I've ever heard regarding him, <laughs> regarding this is the reason that Jarrett Stidham and Cam Martin became Albert Tigers was because they were promised that e- either Kendall or Art, I've heard both, Bryles, would be hired by Gus Malzahn as the offensive coordinator coordinator when he hired Chip Lindsey. Yes, and that didn't happen, and they both ended up coming to Auburn anyway. Yep, but that, that was, was that was the spiciest rumor I've heard, and if that's true, that's that's wild. That was where I was going, and that is what I had heard um, from my time being as I'm, I'm not as plugged into the Baylor athletic department as I once was, but that was the rumor that I heard as well. And uh, it, I, from what I understand, it was supposed to be art, but when the whole Baylor scandal went down, without too much commentary on that, in 2016, um, the entire Bryles family, which is interesting because a lot of them have resurfaced now especially in the SEC. You got Kendall right. at, at Arkansas as the offensive coordinator, and then Kendall's brother-in-law, who married Art's daughter, is the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. So yeah. uh, Jeff Levy. And so that's that's an interesting connection. But my understanding was that Art was supposed to be, there was a handshake deal between Gus and Art that Art was going to be, was going to funnel a couple of players to Auburn, 
it was going to be a good landing spot for them, and then Art was going to take over as the offensive coordinator. But even beyond the rumor and in, in innuendo, so Auburn got those two players and effectively traded Davion Mitchell <laughs> around the same time to, to Baylor, uh, <laughs> who then won a national championship for the Bears in basketball. And then you look at, like, even like Sharif Cooper, Auburn's point guard last year, his sister played basketball for the Lady Bears and won a national championship for, for Baylor women's basketball. Yeah, that, that was that was pretty wild, too. Because Taya Cooper, she started, I think, South Carolina. She went to, like, three and, schools and, or something like that. Yeah, something like that. And then ended up as a grad transfer at Baylor, and then they, they won a national championship, and that was great. You know, and obviously, but then Sharif Cooper going to going to Auburn just kind of continued that connection. So that was that was super interesting. Um, but yeah, you know, I think the whole Art Bryles thing, you know, the, the whole Bryles clan became plutonium at the time. And, and you know, as I mentioned right. earlier, and, and basically no one could touch him for a couple of years. So still, um, yeah, I mean, no one will touch Art. I, I think Kendall has probably done enough and, and, and Levy, maybe. I don't know. I think Kiffin Kiffin probably gets the I think Kiffin calls that offense. Credit. I think he calls the plays. I think Levy kind of does the the analyst stuff from the booth and whatnot. Kiffin probably calls the plays there, but um, you know Kendall might at some point get an, enough cred where he probably gets a, a smaller job, kind of similar to what Kiffin did to kind of rehabilitate his career. Yeah, I think you might be right, I, and not even like in terms of just pure athletics. You have all those overlaps. Then you have like Kevin Steele. <laughs> oh man! Thing. Like Kevin Steele's only head coaching position was at Baylor and it was a tragedy and then he unmitigated disaster it was a complete disaster like there's it Kevin Steele's head coaching tenure at Baylor makes Will Muschamp's two stops look like he was Vince Lombardi <laughs> like it, it that's, is that's fair Will Muschamp won conference games yeah well oh. Kevin Steele won one he won one <laughs> I was actually there we uh we oh, beat right. Kansas. That's right. It was Kansas and tore the goalposts down. We beat Kansas. We rushed the field. I, I would say I was probably one of the first five people on the goalpost after we after we won that game. Uh, I think the game was actually still going on because there was like a lateral situation. Yeah. And students were running onto the field as there was a live ball bouncing around. So so that was the thing. Gosh. Yeah. So the Kevin. So Kevin. Steel- no, but Kevin Steele. Kevin Steele was. So my freshman year and his final year at Baylor overlapped. And I will tell you, I came from a winning high school program, played high school football, came from a winning program. So I was used to seeing at least decent football, you know, and uh, came to Baylor and we were awful. Yeah. Like awful. I think we got shut out like four or five times that year. Open tryouts were a thing. Mm -hmm. And multiple sports at Baylor in my time there. Yikes. Um, yeah, so Steele comes to Auburn, and then a number of people, not convinced that he wasn't a bad head coach, tried to install him as head coach at Auburn, and now we end up with uh, with Brian Harson. And, and it's it's not been a bed of roses so far with Brian Harson, but there's been some things we can build on. So as an outside observer to Auburn, with your only connection being yours truly, what do you even like when you think of this this year, especially this Auburn football team? What what is it? What is going on? I've watched a few of the games and they're entertaining at the very least. Um, the, I mean, when I watch Auburn, I I think of the fact that there are just athletes that we can only dream of at Baylor running around on the field there. And 
Uh, sometimes it looks coordinated and they look good. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, I think, you know, I think if we're talking about the, the quarterback position and, and my right. boy hooked on, ho- hooked on Bonix. Hooked on Bonix. Uh, yep. Good old, good old Bo Nix or Bonix as I call him. Um, he he kind of reminds me of like, so so bear with me on this one. So so Johnny Menzel, when he was at Texas A and M, he would stand back in the pocket and hold the ball until the pocket broke down, and then he would just scramble and pull magic out of his hat or throw in, uh, throw just a wild interception. Either way, it'd be incredibly entertaining. Right. Bo Nix at Auburn is like Johnny Menzel if the play broke down immediately. Every like time. if the ball was snapped and no one got blocked. Or if a play and wasn't so he, called. <laughs> just like, yeah. hey, we're not calling plays. We're just going to snap the ball and see what happens. No, I just, I, I, just I wrote, backyard I wrote that, football, uh, run around, throw it up, find someone open, just, just, you know, figure it out. On multiple occasions on this podcast, I've said that he reminds me of a person who learned the game from listening to Johnny Mansell games on the radio. Like he didn't <laughs> see him, he just heard it. Uh, but now it's not even that. Now it's like, Bo Bo Nix plays the game as if like he's that kid that you're playing NCAA with that just like constantly runs backwards with the quarterback and then just heaves so you can't you can't throw you can't throw a pick because he actually throws like he's thrown extremely few picks most of his interceptions have come in like two games of his career yeah he just he just is not like incredibly accurate and we had we are leading the SEC in drops and it's not even close we have like 25 <laughs> drops so far this year i don't think anybody else is even in the ballpark he had 15 drops what, seth, last week oh that's brutal seth williams was my deep sleeper for the nfl draft this year i have a, a really deep dynasty league and i was going to try and pick him up and then he got cut right before the draft started he's not even so. on a roster He's not on a roster which shocked me because i thought he was way better than anthony schwartz last year and schwartz is still Bumping around the Browns roster somewhere. He has a Schwartz has not really hit the depth chart like we thought because he has like one outrageously elite skill, but it's enough of a skill that if you have a quarterback who throws the deep ball as well as Baker does, you would think all right he can he can see the field. Seth, didn't he have a didn't he have like a hamstring injury too earlier this year? Schwartz yeah, did. Well, I think he might have. Seth is that that's, guy that's who's another, like. You never, I never got, I don't get how he's not on a roster because at the least he's physically imposed. He's a big, fast receiver. Like, but he did, he had a lot of drops at Auburn. He did. Like, we, yeah. It's something's in the, we think there's a curse. What'd you say? You think there's a concentration drops or is that just not having good enough hands? Well, here's the thing. We're on three receiver coaches since he was here. So two have been fired. (laughs) So I think there's a curse actually. Or like a demon of some sort living in the receivers' meeting room. So the sooner that we build a new football facility, the better. Maybe that will actually solve the problem. They need to like go in there with some sage or something, clean out the bad juju. Because <laughs> it's, I mean, it is epidemic. This, this is, this is now years on. We are just dropping balls left and right. Bonix, yeah. Bonix to me is, I think you described it best. Like at the very least. There is not going to be a single boring snap. Like every yeah. snap is an adventure. He he looks like a man who does not trust anything that's going on in front of him at the line of scrimmage and knows that if something is going to happen, good or bad, 
that he is going to be the catalyst for that event. And so he is just running around until that until time comes where he's like, all right, it's time time to go. Yeah, and he's just it's bow time. revving up the engine and just firing it downfield. Devil may care. I think you you just made my co-host my co-host chief very excited because that's exactly what he says is that this is a guy who has had a terrible offensive line for four years of high school and currently has a pretty middling to better the better than they normally they have been offensive line at Auburn, but he doesn't know that. Like he's he's so shell shocked <laughs> that it doesn't matter that there actually is good protection. Sometimes he is seeing ghosts rushing rushing uh, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, he he's the guy who, you know, you can tell he was the best athlete on the field every time he stepped on the field since yeah. he was probably like eight years old. And as soon as the first read isn't there, he's just ducking his head down and trying to make something happen with his feet. And his dad's the coach was the coach. Like it was one of those he's he was going to start. It wasn't like his dad's gonna bench him. I think it's actually amazing how much better he was against LSU and he was actually really good against Georgia. He was one million percent not the problem against Georgia. Um, I think benching him, personally, my opinion is benching him for that stretch against Georgia State was the best thing that ever happened to him. Because um, he knows, he knows he could lose the, the job. He's lost it, and now he's got, he literally is playing with there's nothing to lose. Um, speaking of football, as we always do on this podcast, we are going to be the only Auburn podcast to tell you exactly what time the game starts. It's going to be an 11.05 kick on CBS, so plan accordingly. 11.05 a.m. on CBS against Arkansas, um, which means it's probably going to – I mean, you'll probably eat dinner during this game, you know, on CBS games. So <laughs> it's a lunch and dinner game. Best games, best network. Dude, I I hate <laughs> CBS games, as you as you well know. It is my least favorite thing in the world. We cannot get out from this contract fast enough. But the Hogs... And miss all, you'll miss all those insightful comments from Gary Danielson, though. I like will how, say that. how good Bama is at this thing he's watching in this other game. Look you at know, this offensive lineman. He's good. You know who's also good? Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look. Tank Bigby's you know, really good. You know who's also good? Alabama's running back. I was talking to the coaches this week, and they told me that if Florida scores more points, they're probably going to win. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate that. I mean, this is – they're really – the coaches this week told me they really are going to try to focus on establishing the run and trying to work in some play action. Okay, man. <laughs> cool. They, they think the game will be won in the trenches this week. Gary really does the hard research. Said I, every coach ever. I, I think the coaches at this point just meet with him out of formality. Like, look, yeah, tell him the same thing to him every single year. He thinks it's new. You think they just send in the SID, the sports information director, with like some talking points on like a note card? Here's the deal, Gary. We're going to try to win the game, and we're going to try to run the ball. <laughs> just keep saying that. They just we, tell him it's a new coach, and he just doesn't catch on. You watch. This game, I don't think it's going to be Gary, though. But maybe, because we didn't have Gary last week, even though we were on CBS. If it's Gary... Drink anytime he mentions Alabama and you'll have to go to the hospital, even though it's Auburn at Arkansas. And Arkansas is ranked number 12 in America. And how did they get so high, Jamie? Who did they beat? Who did Arkansas beat? Two teams that you have an intimate knowledge of the workings of. Cannot be more excited to talk about them hogs beating up on the Longhorns and Aggie. So they beat the Longhorns first game of the season. How on the scale of one to back, how back was Texas 
going into this game? Coming into that game? Oh, man. So Louisiana was ranked. The Raging Cajuns were ranked to start the season. Texas looked very convincing beating them. And I think Texas beat, I don't know, somebody, some some scrub team. Maybe it was Rice or something. Um, but Texas was back. I mean, there were just vats of ink that were being ready to be poured all over papers across the country, just shouting to the heavens that Texas was back. Because if if you have followed the Big 12 saga for the last, uh, let's call it 12 years now, Texas has been on the verge of being back. And there are people all over the country just breathless to to just scream from the rooftops that Texas is back. So Texas was was pretty close to being back. And if they, I think if they had come into... If they'd come to the great uh, state of Arkansas and, and knocked off the Hogs, they would have been fully back. Even though at the time Arkansas was not ranked, and everyone thought they were the worst team in the conference. Everybody, yeah, they hadn't won. They hadn't won a game against a ranked team in what since like 2017 or something like that. It's been a long time. I have an Arkansas fan friend who, and she always refers to it as like their decade of penance for Bobby Petrino. It's like they got rid of. <laughs> they had to pay ten years. Of penance for Bobby Petrino's motorcycle accident. Um, so, I want to... Texas... I've said on this podcast that Texas is basically... When, when it was announced they were going to the SEC, we did like a primer on getting to know your new neighbors. And I said that Texas is like uh, really rich Ole Miss. <laughs> like if Ole Miss was super rich and thought they were Alabama, that's Texas. Whereas OU is like... Basic, like they're they're the closest thing to Alabama, quote unquote, outside of the SEC. In that, they just seem to win their conference all the time, and they recruit nationally, and they all they care about is winning football games. That's it. You can't name like five quote unquote traditions of OU besides winning. They don't have like we do this every game, and everybody stands up when we do this one thing. Like they don't have. They have one song they play mm-hmm. the whole band. They only know one song, and that's yep. it. They're a simplified winning machine in Norman. Texas is the opposite of that. They got a lot of bits. They've got a million bits, and none of them involve winning nine games a year. Um, in fact, I did the research for this. If you take the Mac Brown era out of Texas, they are basically an eight, seven to eight win team every year on average. Yeah. Yeah. If Guys, you take that's, out the Mac- that's us. <laughs> they if are you take out, Yeah, if you take out the Daryl K. Royal years and the Mac Brown years, which is a little bit of cherry picking because that's, right. a, that's a not insignificant portion of history. That's like a 20-year period. But if you take out those years, I mean, they are essentially exactly a 7-5 and five team historically, going back to like the 1900s. Yeah. And I mean, nobody so, knows 8-4 eight and, eight and four more than the Auburn Tigers. That's, that's our, that is where we live. We are, we are, we are the historically in the history of the AP poll, the average number fifteen team in America. Auburn is the number fifteen program in the world. Um, whereas Texas is considers to be itself to be like top five, and in actuality is like probably around the same as us. Um, I think they're like the third winningest program of all time, but they've you played a lot of games. They have played. They've played for a long time. They played for I think longer than almost any SEC team has. And they played a lot of games in those old seasons. So you get Auburn mm-hmm. seasons in like the early 1900s. We might have four games. It doesn't really count. 
Whereas Texas might yeah, play. Texas was playing like ten, nine, yeah. eight or nine games. Yeah. Yeah. Texas comes with a lot of baggage. Um, and, and, you know, but most of it is their fan base thinks they're Alabama. Right. But they have the results and returns of basically an Auburn in the, yeah. in the modern era. Yeah. And they, they are. Yeah. But then across the state, the team that will do anything to get away from Texas got away from Texas. And now Texas keeps crawling back in. Only to get reeled back in by Big Brother. And nothing, I told somebody today, I would actually rather beat Texas A&M than beat Alabama, I think. I think it's gotten to that point for me. Because it's just, and not from like a, it's great for Auburn. It's better for Auburn to beat Alabama. Mm-hmm. For sure. Personally, for me, I get more joy in beating A&M because it's just hilarious. Yeah. You can hang your shingle on beating Alabama, and that's going to do a lot for you in the state. It's going to do a lot for you in national perception. But if you can beat A&M, you are going to infuriate a completely lunatic fan base to heights that are, are just awesome to, awesome to watch, I got to say. <laughs> they are. They are the weirdest group of people in the world. And like, any caricature that you make of Aggie is 100% accurate somehow. Like there's no, you can stereotype them as a fan base and at no point will anybody go, no, that's not us. It's 100% them. Like it is 100% those guys. And they put themselves out there as that. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about their traditions at some point here, but you, you could not. You could tell me any single thing, like anything in the world, and say this is a Texas A&M tradition, and I'd be like, "Yeah, that that checks out." If you said like, "All right, every Thursday before a home game, all the freshmen have to crawl on their hands and knees up the highest building on campus and shout the fight song off out of the the third window to the left of the clock," most people in Texas would go, "Yeah, I bet they do." A bunch yeah, of weirdos, but yeah, we can't. Yeah, they that, can't that. walk on any grass. They no. can't because the grass itself is some sort of like war memorial or some nonsense. They, yeah, they say that, but I don't think it technically is. But yeah. they will say that, and they'll keep people from walking on the grass. They will like verbally accost you if you walk inside with a hat on in any building on campus, because apparently the buildings are also war memorials. Everything is a war memorial. Everything's a war memorial. Nobody loves the troops as much as the Aggies do, including like the troops themselves. They love the troops more than the Naval Academy does, more than the Military <laughs> Academy does. Yeah, because because the academies will like the troops from that branch. They don't like any of the other branches. They right. you know begrudgingly respect them because they're kind of like yeah 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 whatever. This is more like a fetish. The country as well. Oh yeah, this is they, this they're yeah. absolutely fetishizing the the military. I mean, you think about the core. Like the core started out as a as an ROTC, and and with an ROTC, you know, everyone has to serve, has to do service afterwards. So they're going to some branch of the military. It could be an Air Force ROTC, it could be an Army ROTC, it could be whatever. Um, you, you know, whatever it is, you're serving some sort of service to the military and to your country after you leave and graduate from the program. The core morphed into whatever it is today. And I think I read a stat that it's like 85% of core members will not go into the military afterwards. So you're literally getting dressed up in military garb, getting a military-style haircut, 
marching around campus and doing drills for four years and then not actually joining the military afterwards. Just to say you were in the Corps and get some shiny boots. Yeah. That's, it is, it yeah. is bonkers. And, they, and then they, go, they have the gall to keep making fun of Mississippi State. Then they lose to Mississippi State, who is just another version of them with less military stuff. And then they somehow mess around and beat Alabama. Them beating Alabama is the, <laughs> it is the weirdest loss maybe of Saban's tenure at Alabama. Like it's weirder than they lost to La Monroe in 07. And he lost to Utah in a bowl in the Sugar Bowl in 08. I might be mm-hmm. wrong on that. But both of those, I could even say, no, those make sense. Because this is a program he's trying to build. He didn't have the athletes he had in there. Utah was really good. Blah, blah, blah. This is inexplicable. Because Utah's quarterback was Alex Smith. He played in the NFL for years. A&M's quarterback is the backup. He wouldn't start. Yeah. He, he would not be on Alabama's bench like he would not have a position in Alabama there's no spot for him on their roster he wouldn't be third string he wouldn't be fourth string yeah they might not have even allowed him to walk on yeah he wouldn't have been invited walk on and he beat them at Texas A&M with all those weirdos and their strange haircuts uh so bizarre man like every so often I would just get a text from people about this game I'm like I'm not turning it on because I have a strict no Alabama football policy but like, I didn't believe it. Like I was, I was convinced. Even when Alabama was down by like, <coughs> like fourteen, excuse me, I was like, oh yeah, the tide's gonna come back, and they're gonna win this game. It's gonna be heart wrenching for for A and M. Bright side is A and M would lose again, which would be hilarious for me. Yeah, but like there was a group text, and I, I said in the group text, I said Alabama is inevitable. Like yeah. the, they'll get down 17 and they'll just methodically yeah. work their way back. They'll probably win by 10 plus is what I was saying. And that's what they did. Like, and, and they played like they knew they were going to win. Like Alabama played that game. Like, don't worry about it. If we just keep not making mistakes, these bozos will at some point just give us the ball and we'll score. And so they kicked, yeah. they like kicked field goals when, when most teams who were down 17 would have gone for a touchdown. They did all this stuff that looked like, they literally think a is going to give them this game at some point. And they, they almost did. They almost did. <laughs> they almost did. So, so, if, so Drew is an interesting person for all the listeners out there in that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't get, get joy from schadenfreude, which is, the, the, which is enjoying other people's misfortunes. So I do. I transact heavily in it. So Texas blowing a 21-point lead to Oklahoma earlier in the day was like just it was like catnip to me. I was right. I was almost I was more excited about that game than I was about Baylor beating West Virginia earlier in the day. Um, and then Texas A&M potentially blowing a 14 or 17-point lead and losing to Alabama would have just been the perfect nightcap for me. I would have been, you know, just just fit to be tied, as they say. And, uh, and so I was tuning in just for the, the schadenfreude there, just to, just to see A&M lose and, and the misery on, on the faces of everyone in the core. And they pulled it out, and I was, I was in shock. I will say there are a couple other things about the game that, that surprised me, because I, I don't watch a lot of SEC football. I, I do watch some, but I don't watch a ton. Um, you know how the, there's a school-specific commercials during the yeah. game that run? Yeah, they're terrible. They're Have all terrible. Seen- no one's as good. 
Have you seen A&M's this year? No, I don't think I have. Actually, I think I did see it there in the Colorado game. I think that back. I watched A&M versus Colorado. Do you, yeah. do you remember what happens in it? Is the dog involved? No, I don't think the dog's involved. Oh, that's a good I, one, I, I, I only started tuning in when I kind of realized what was happening. Yeah. And it's essentially it's essentially a recreation, or maybe it was shot at Midnight Yell, which we'll get. We'll probably talk about what Midnight Yell is. It is a weird tradition as well uh, at A&M. But it, I, it basically is them at a midnight yell, and they're doing all the weird chants they do and practicing to cheer the next day and all this kind of stuff. And as they're doing it, they're showing, like, fake interiors of houses of other SEC teams. So, like, there'll be a Georgia family. And when they do, like, whatever their whoop thing is, like, the Georgia family is like a picture would fall down in their house. And, like, they'd look around and, like, all startled. And then they'd show, like, the Arkansas family and, like, you know, their lights would flicker and stuff like that. And it's, like, you know, basically, like, A&M's. A&M's coming or something like that. I'm like they, like they hired someone, probably a marketing agency, who came down to A&M, studied it for like three weeks or so, and was like, okay, yeah, this is probably going to be. Th- this is what we'll put out there. And A&M's like, that's perfect. That's exactly the image we want to put out to the world. Most of schools, most schools are like, like Auburn's will be like, um, a mixed race friend group walking across the quad. And then it cut to like a dog doing math homework, cut to a rocket going into space, cut to a picture of Tim Cook, and then it'll say like <laughs> Auburn, War Eagle. And usually it has nothing to do with football whatsoever. Then there'll be like a football kind of ish one. It'll be the same things I just described. And then it'll show like Bo Jackson or somebody or, or like Charles Barkley um, at a game or the Eagle flying around the stadium. Most people, most schools, it's not just like 100% about we cheer aloud at the football games or at this weird pep rally we do before the games. Let me take you, let, let, let us take you inside one of our most deeply weird traditions and just have that be the entire commercial. Guys, like, if you don't know like, what, this, ba- what this is, everybody, everybody, I, like thousands of everybody's show up at the stadium at midnight the day before a home game. And I think they even do it on the road at various places. They do. They do. They will, they will at the outside the, I think what they do is they try to do it because most, most teams when they have a home game, they will have even the home team. So let's say it's at South Carolina, South Carolina will stay in a hotel right near the stadium. So you can have everyone in the same place. You can regulate the, the, right. you know, teams coming and goings and whatnot. You, you have a much lower chance of somebody getting in trouble if they're at a team hotel. What will happen, I think, if I understand correctly, is that the Aggie fans who travel to the games will go outside the team hotel of whatever it is they're playing at midnight and practice cheering outside their hotel. Which is kind of yes. cool because you're like, okay, yeah. they're, they're like so Me- committed to the cause, they're going to try and ruin the, uh, the home team's <laughs> sleep the night before. Right. But like the actual, I've been to a midnight yell, um, and... And it is it is very 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 off putting. There's the videos are out because now people are recording these and putting them on Twitter, and not just people like AM's doing it themselves. Like it's like oh yeah, this is what we do, and people are just dragging them because the guys are walking around doing this weird like leg kick thing, and that apparently is a tradition that goes back to some guy in the 30s. <laughs> Everything they're wearing <laughs> is, is. And here's the thing: these aren't tradition based on success. No. Like if you told me if you told me that that someone high up at A and M, 
like two or three years in a row, every year around Christmas, stubbed his foot and broke his toe on the mantle place. Yeah, they'd be like, "Oh, this is a tradition at A and M now." So every, every Christmas at A and M, we have to kick the wall really hard and break our toes. Yeah, like that. That is the level of like. But it'll be like idiocy. we beat TCU by three in nineteen forty six, and as we did it, this one guy threw a bottle in the air and it broke. So now every time we play TCU, everyone has to get glass bottles and throw them at each other, and that's <laughs> like. Their traditions are based on like one victory a hundred million years ago that didn't actually like didn't win them anything. They've not won a national championship. We we make fun of Georgia on this podcast consistently because of nineteen eighty. A and M is nineteen thirty nine. I think is their national they championship. Are. They so they claimed a few when they got to the SEC. So as as a as the resident Big Twelve fan, I suppose on this on this uh, on this podcast today, I will say. From a culture standpoint, no one in the Big 12 was sad to see AM leave. From a history and, and kind of, you know, regional rivalry standpoint, it was kind of a bummer to see them go. From a what this means for the Big 12 as a as a viable entity going forward, it was a little it, it was a little uh, you know, having having twenty twenty hindsight now, it, it obviously was uh, the the beginning of the end. No, it was Missouri um, that did it for you. Well, Nebraska really. <laughs> but yeah. Losing Mizzou was a was a tough blow. I don't know how we'll replace that. I forget they're in the conference at least once a week. I'm always like, oh, I, forgot yeah, I, the com- I forgot when they're in the conference and they're in the Big 12. And, and they're <laughs> like a charter member of that conference. Because they're on the moon. They're in the middle of nowhere as far as the SEC is concerned. <laughs> <laughs> like Columbia, Missouri is so far from everywhere else in the conference. Yeah, but, but A&M is, is just so deeply weird. And I will say... If anyone has any Aggie friends or relatives or you interact with uh, an Aggie one-on-one, one-on-one, they're super nice people, very charming, very, very well-mannered. You're going to have a great conversation. They give you the shirt off their back. But what's kind of a weird thing is like the more of them gather in one place, the more the yeah. hive mind kind of takes over. And it just it, it manifests itself in very, very weird ways. So like the traditions... Basically, if you're an Aggie, you think anything that happened in the past is a tradition. Oh, yeah. It happened more than once. If it happened twice, especially, then yeah. it's got to happen every single week. It's in right. stone. So let's let's move on from the dummies who actually somehow turned around <laughs> and beat, beat Alabama. And did everyone, they did the world a favor because the witch is dead um, yet again. But last week, Auburn lost in heartbreaking fashion in the Deep South's oldest rivalry against the Georgia Bulldogs, who we hate and who have not won a national championship for over 14,900 days at this point, I believe. <laughs> um, so Georgia beat Auburn 34-10. to 10, And I will say um, that is the weirdest 34-10 to 10 because 30, if you had told me before the game Auburn's going to lose 34-10, I would have been like, I'm not going to even watch this game. It's going to make me mad. And I'm going to be just angry at everything. In actuality, like, this was the first time in probably in years that Auburn lost a game literally because we just didn't have the guys. I think scheme-wise, Auburn was competitive. It wasn't, the plays were good. We just dropped the ball. We dropped 15 passes. PFF, Pro Football Focus, Credited us with seven true drops. So 15 re- total drops, seven of those being like, those were 100% catch rate balls 
that the any average receiver catches, and we didn't do it. Um, that's that's like that's like six too many. Like you can't have seven true drops in a game, and I think at least at least two of those are scores if they're not, if they're caught. Um, that's hard to do. No, it's really it, it's bad. Like I don't I can't actually remember the last time Auburn looked that inept catching the ball. And as you might imagine, we have fired our wide receiver coach the week prior. Like it's this is a thing that has happened that Harson has realized, okay, this is we are terrible at this position. We need change in leadership. But yeah. At the college level though, is the wide receiver coach really teaching the guys how to catch? Um, or is that something that is that a skill that they should come into college with at that point? I believe the rumor is that Joe that uh, Joe Brady would make made LSU's receivers catch a thousand balls off the jugs machine in the off season, and that was like because he, he believed that you could teach catching, basically. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, I guess. Not to not to bring it back to Baylor too much, but so Art Bryles, an Art Brylesism was I could teach a fast guy how to catch. I can't teach a guy who knows how to catch how to be fast. Right. So there there is that school of thought where you can teach a guy how to catch, but to say you know to to hear that they fired the wide receiver coach the week before and then they went out and had seventeen or fifteen drops or whatever it was seven true drops fifteen drops that is. That is wild. It's like, oh well, coach, coach is gone. I guess I, I don't know how to catch anymore. <laughs> catch no, they fired <laughs> because they, they couldn't catch going into this game, leading the conference <laughs> in drops. It's um, and that's twenty five true drops. By the way, we have twenty five true drops on the on the uh, season, which is just preposterous. So that's one that's in the target zone. That is that is like absolutely you're going to catch that. Yeah, like any... you would catch, basically. I don't know about that, but yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Yeah, so it, this was it's bad. Um, it's bad, and we got to get it right against Arkansas. But I will say that like I don't like moral victories, but I also don't like hate them. I here's a weird thing about me, as you might as you already mentioned, I don't I don't traffic much in Schadenfreude, but I also don't traffic much in quote unquote championship mentality nonsense for fans. It doesn't matter if I have a championship mentality. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter if you do listening to this. It doesn't matter. What your mentality is. If you walked if you watched the Georgia game and said, Oh, there's some good takeaways from that. Great. It's a sport. You're on the team. And chances are you aren't paying Brian Harson's salary. So who cares? Have fun. We all die. Everybody dies. Just have a good time watching college football. It's like when fans say, Oh, well, we can't look ahead to, you know, the Alabama yeah, Auburn that. game. We can't. <laughs> Can't look ahead to the Iron Bowl because we got ahead, you know, this game coming up. We got we got Arkansas coming up this week, so we can't look ahead to it. It's like, what? You're you're not playing on the team. Like you can look ahead to whatever you want. You can look ahead exactly. to the Iron Bowl in 2032, and you get you know, the it won't matter. You get a left jacket yeah. this year. What position you play? No, it, it's it's bad, and I I think the more that as as fans we can kind of divorce ourselves from like I have to feel bummed out about this Georgia loss all week. Like, no, you really don't. Like, go out and live your life. Like, you didn't lose. Matter of fact, the team is probably not as bummed out as most of the fans are because they had the opportunity to actually, like, have an outlet for their hatred for Georgia or whatever. That's done. They played a game. Yeah. They had the chance. They gave it the best they had. And now it's over. There's a scene in a really terrible movie with Jimmy Fallon called uh, Fever Pitch. 
It was oh, a terrible yeah. movie. But Drew Barrymore yeah. and Jimmy Fallon. But there's a great scene in which he goes into this bar and like Johnny Damon and a bunch of the, the 04 Red Sox, they just lost some game, like brutal game, to get him out of first place in the division or whatever. And the, these guys are all in there like having beers and like laughing at stuff. And Jimmy Fallon's Red Sox fans' buddies are all mad because they're like, how could they... How can they be laughing? Blah blah blah, and one of the and one of the guys was like, "Yeah, because they, they're over it, because they did it. They did the game. It's it's through it. They they've gone through it. We're the ones who can't get over it because we have no outlet." He's like, "Yeah, absolutely. I'm over the Georgia game. It's over. It's done. Had we won, would I be happy? Yeah, of course. But we lost. I didn't play. I had I had as many I had less drops than everybody else did. I guess, but I also didn't have any catches." There, there's a time in the not so distant past, and I, I, I think we're past this as a society, and I think we're better for it. But there's a time in the not so distant past where fans would get legitimately angry if they saw guys in the team like hugging guys in the other team after the game and like smiling and you know exchanging pleasantries with the with the fact that a lot of these guys grew up together. They have friends on other teams. Dude, you're yes. seeing your friends after the game's over, so you're you know giving them a hug, you're you're dapping them up, you're doing whatever. And uh, you're over it, like you said. And like I remember fans getting legitimately angry to say, "How how can they be smiling after a loss? How can they be hugging the other team? We hate them." And I'm like, guys, it's not, it's not that big a deal. Like, exactly, it's life and death to fans. It's not usually to players. Yeah, and, like, and even then, and even then, they can separate the fact from like the game is over now. It might have been a heartbreaking loss, but that is still my friend on the other side, or that is still someone that I you know respect, and I'm going to go over and and you know not try and punch the guy in the face. This is like classic NBA talk because the NBA, there's like these old heads who hate how the modern NBA, everyone's best friends because they all played AAU together and so like vacationing together even though they're on different teams. It's like, dude, it's because it's a game. And also like they're going to be on a different team next week, next year, maybe next week. There's no like, yeah. we're, the, we're the Toronto Raptors and we only hang out with other Toronto Raptors. Like, dude, you might not be a Toronto Raptor tomorrow. You might be a 76er tomorrow. Who knows? We hate the Celtics. I'm never going to hang out with anyone who ever put on a Celtics jersey. No, and these dudes are trans- – now that now with the, with the transfer, which the people who get upset about that, it's like, dude, let the kids play where they want to play. It doesn't hurt me in the least. If a kid doesn't want to be at Auburn anymore and wants to transfer to UCF, go for it, man. Yeah, I Have the best I, I hope- life you can have. With with the transfers getting more prolific, I hope kids are getting good advice from people. I hope they have right. people that they can trust that they're getting good advice from, and not just someone in their ear telling them, "Hey, you're the next, you know, Michael Jordan, or you're the next, you know, Cam Newton, or whatever it is." Um, but aside from that, like as long as they're not getting blatantly taken advantage of, do go where you want to go, do what you want to do. Yeah, have a, do what's best for you. Don't allow your happiness to be dependent on others' feelings about you. At all, and that's that's good for everybody. That's good advice for everybody. Um, yeah, I mean, you're a you're you're a college athlete. Your chances are real good. You're only going to have four years to play this sport at a at a high level. That may or may not, not be giving pro. you debilitating brain injuries. <laughs> like, yeah, do what you got to do. Do what you want to do. All right, so we're moving on now to the Arkansas game again. Arkansas is really good and really gigantic. Um, they are. One of the biggest teams at every position you're going to see. Jamie, you you were at Baylor well after Arkansas went to the the, the SEC, though, right? The first yes. domino to fall. 
Well, well after, yes. Yeah. The old Southwest <laughs> Conference. So was you it 1990? Well, Southwest Conference was 90, ended in 94, right? Yeah, I think Arkansas left in either 90 or 92, though. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because I was like, yeah, I remember when it happened, being like, you can do that? Because I was like six. <laughs> um, so Arkansas has, let's see, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the notes. Auburn has an 18-11-1 advantage against Arkansas. But I think, is this game going to be in Little No, it's in Fayetteville. For some reason, I thought this game was going to be in Little Rock. That was going to be really weird. Those games are weird when they play yeah, Little Rock. Yeah, the Memorial Stadium, Memorial Stadium the, game there. It's like a soccer game because the sidelines are like right on the field. Um, that stadium is bonkers. It's not, not good. It's like playing in the Cotton Bowl or whatever, the yeah, Legion Field in Birmingham. Yeah, I think Auburn's not going to be favored by anybody in this game. On the road, this is a game that under uh, under Gus Malzahn, you could go ahead and chalk this up as a loss. Um, Gus didn't win a lot of games on the road against ranked teams. I don't think actually Gus did not win a game. I don't believe on the road against the ranked team. I think that that might be the case. Um, wait, <laughs> that can't be. Well, no, that might be right actually. Um, so Auburn has yet to do it this year, but our only opportunity to do so was at Penn State. LSU was far from ranked when Auburn beat them. Um, yeah, I think Auburn can win this game. I don't know. Like, why not? I think Arkansas runs the ball super well, but Auburn's only really good at one thing on defense, and that's stopping the run. Auburn's offensive line is much better than it, used to, than it normally has been. It's only allowed seven sacks. That's really only, that's a Bo Nix thing. So Bo Nix does not get, he does a lot of things good. The only thing he does great to me is he does not get sacked, period. Like he's, it's so rare that I've even said that each Bo Nix sack is like a snowflake of butt because <laughs> it's so rare and so unique and each one is so different. <laughs> It's like he's yeah. allergic to sacks, though, because he will he will do he will like contort his body in just crazy ways and dive and hurl the ball out of bounds as far as he can to avoid taking a sack. Oh yeah, so he'll probably get he'll probably get a bunch of uh, intentional groundings, but he's not going to take oh, a sack. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and like I think his accuracy is he's never had a season where he's above like sixty percent accuracy, which is not great. Not great. I think a lot of that are throwaways. I think he, like you said, like he would throw the ball out of bounds. <clears throat> and got him in trouble against Georgia. He actually almost threw a pick because they had a defender who was good enough to like pick it off out of bounds, but he landed out of bounds. It was like early on in the game too. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, uh, I really don't know what to say about this game because normally, Jamie, you don't know this, but there used to be a thing called the hog hex. And this was a Tuberville thing. For whatever reason, early games against Arkansas spelled doom for Auburn in the Tommy Tuberville era. Like, we would be the number two team in America. Arkansas would come in unranked and beat us. And normally that only happened in 11 a.m. kicks, which is what this is. However, they are the number 12 team in America. And Auburn is, I believe, un- and we're unranked in the AP poll. So Auburn's unranked. So this is this is weird. This is rare rare air that Auburn's dealing with. Um, 
But Auburn's won five straight now over the Razorbacks because once Gus became the head coach, it became his mission in life. But he could lose <laughs> he could lose every game. But he was putting sixty up on Arkansas. Like that was just like the goal. That was a revenge game. Oh yeah. yeah. Every week. Every year. <laughs> you could just chalk it up. I don't care who their coach is. They had Bielema who came in there and tried to start a rivalry with Auburn. That did not go well for him. Good old Bert. I think Auburn had 500 yards rushing against them one year. It's just, it did not go well for, for Bert. Um, like Gus is game planning four weeks in advance for the Arkansas game. Oh, it totally was. Just just mailing in on the other games there. Which is the rumor that the Texag rumor about the, the Alabama game that was hysterical was there was some guy like a week ago saying that uh, this was Jimbo. Jimbo was. He had focused too much on Alabama, and for weeks all they had practiced in Alabama, and they were they had dropped some games they shouldn't have dropped because he was they were going to beat Alabama. And they were making fun of this guy. Turned out, dude was right. <laughs> like maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe he was an insider. Maybe, maybe it, it's interesting as as someone who views the SEC from from an arm's length. Um, you know, I think what seven or eight teams are pretty much always ranked in the top twenty-five, if not more than that, depending on the year. Right. Um, and you get to you get to mid-October, and it's just a churn. You know, yeah. there'll be a team that's in the mid-teens and a team that's unranked, and the team that's in the mid-teens will beat the or the team that's unranked will, will upset the team in the mid-teens. They'll switch positions. It's just a constant churn of teams going from unranked to like twenty-second to like eighteenth, back to unranked. And uh, so you said you said you think the Tigers can win this game. I agree with you. I think they can absolutely win well, this game. I also say that like. Anything from 15 to 25 is a complete guess. Oh, yeah. it's crap no shit. one has a clue who the number 22 team in America is. Because nobody's watched enough games to really fill out a ballot like that. Like, nobody has. Yeah. You're telling me that, that BYU and Coastal Carolina, you can, you can watch them play or not even watch them play. You can look at the box scores from their games and say, oh, yeah, this team's better than that team. Right. Or like Ole Miss, Arkansas. Ole Miss just beat Arkansas by one point. Are they five teams better than Arkansas right now? Because they're fourteenth. Like, <laughs> yeah. Are there are there five teams that Ole Miss separate would beat <laughs> by less than one point? <laughs> there, the, so there's that one point difference, and then right. there are five teams that get crammed into that one point differential, and they're saying, "Yeah, these teams are are a little bit better than Arkansas." But is. Then you'll you'll read some AP voters who are saying, "Like that's not how they rank it," because there are some guys who are like, "I do it like if it's a neutral field, this team beats this team, but this team beats this team, but this team beats this team," <laughs> and then there are some guys who are like, "No, none of that matters. It's just resume. What have they done? The 25 best resumes." So we're the, not the even voting thing, for the same things. No, no. And the other thing that, that is wild to me is as a Big 12 fan, you hear a lot of Big 12 fans talk about this, is the frustration with the college football playoff committee is that they will reward a quality loss over a win. And so right. you see them talk about SEC teams and they'll say, oh, well, you know, they lost to Arkansas, but that's a quality loss this year. Or they lost to Alabama, that's a quality loss. It's like, well, they have three quality losses, so they should be ranked ahead of this undefeated team because they have more quality losses. Right. I'm like, wait, but this team doesn't have any losses. <laughs> quality or otherwise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So 
but it, it, it's interesting just to kind of hear that because there's there's a lot of mental gymnastics going on, I think, both in the AP voters' minds but also in the college football playoff committee's minds just to, I, I you know, they'll say, yeah, it's kind of a process and we get to the point where we talk about who's better than who and we get to this point and that's how we determine the rankings. And I'm like, no, what you actually do is you come to this arbitrary ranking of who you want to see play and then you right. and then you're like, okay, how do we how do we you know retrofit a, an explanation onto this that's going to make you know some semblance of of coherent thought seem yeah. like it happened in that room. Now here's the deal: Auburn is eight and six all time in games on October sixteenth. I'm okay with that. Now we're only four okay. and four in away games, but we're two and zero oh against the Hogs on October sixteenth all time so you heard your first streak stays alive take that to the bank take that to the bank all right jamie take out a second mortgage on your home and bet it on the tigers thanks for coming on the show jamie i'm sorry we didn't get a chance to talk about the 20th anniversary of sublime's album sublime which i really intended to do because you're the only person i know i can talk to about that Uh, maybe we can get it as an outro here because that is a, if there's, if there's such thing as a perfect album, that is, that is darn close. Or we can go through the, uh, the finer points of taking back Sunday's entire catalog. Maybe next time we'll have you on, we'll just talk taking back Sunday and, uh, yeah, it'll be awesome for me and you. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's, uh, look forward to becoming an infrequent contributor to the podcast and, and talking about music that is so obscure that only about two listeners will probably enjoy it. Now we're talking. All right. Well, Jamie, I hope to see you again soon. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Adios.